All right, good morning. Let's open our Bibles. We're in 2 Samuel as we study the life of David through 1st and 2nd Samuel. We're going verse by verse and chapter by chapter. We find ourselves in 2 Samuel chapter 21. We're going to look at just the first 14 verses, or verses 1 through 14, I should say. The topic we're going to find there is this. A three-year famine is ended when seven sons of Saul are executed for their sin against the Gibeonites. The title of our message, O brother, where depart thou? Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the joy of your salvation richly and freely bestowed upon us. Lord, though you've made things quite simple for us, you've put them on the bottom shelf as it were. Oftentimes we struggle and have difficulty, Lord, uh, in certain areas. And I pray today, Lord, that there would be a clarity of thought and purpose and heart and that uh, if any of us have departed, Lord, and if we're experiencing some sort of a, a lack or a famine in our lives, that today would turn that around as we confess our sin, Lord, and find that you are, as always, faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to conf- uh, bless us with all blessings in heavenly places, Lord. Just so much wonder in your love for us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said... Amen. The Great Irish Potato Famine. I know you've been thinking about that today. Uh, Just kind of a little joke there. It's a period of mass starvation and disease between 1845 and 1852. How many of Irish descent here? I just want to do you justice. All right. Approximately one million people died and at least a million more emigrated from Ireland, causing the island's population to fall by as much as 25%. The blight can be attributed to a tiny hidden spore that almost instantly destroyed Ireland's potato crops. In our text in 2 Samuel, the nation of Israel was experiencing a severe famine. In its third year, King David inquired of the Lord as to its cause. It wasn't a spore, it was something spiritual. It was sin, a sin that had been hidden and pushed aside and ignored. Once David dealt with the sin issue, the nation was restored to both spiritual and physical health. Now, we learn in this story that we can experience spiritual famine in our lives. It can result from any number of things, with unconfessed sin certainly topping the list. If we will deal with the cause, then we can be restored to full health and vigor in serving the Lord. And, of course, that's what we want. I'm going to organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, talk to the Lord about the cause of your famine. And number two, work with the Lord applying the cure for your famine. First of all, in verses 1 through 7... Let's talk to the Lord. Are you experiencing a lack of fruitfulness or blessing in your walk with the Lord? Does it seem as though things are being withheld from you, even though outwardly you are super busy serving the Lord? It could be a trial to encourage you to go on seeking the Lord. One of the Psalms, at least, describes times like that by comparing them to a deer uh, panting after the watering brook. It's a beautiful devotional insight that encourages you to go on seeking the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength because you will find Him there at the brook. But it could also be a famine that's brought about by some hidden thing, 
some neglected thing, some unconfessed sin. How can you know which it is? Well, you need to talk to the Lord about it the way David did. There's a beautiful openness to David. I hope you, you know, that's one of the things that we've learned about David as we've studied him these last 52 weeks or so. He, there's a wonderful openness when he is walking with the Lord and when he goes to the Lord and he just invites the Lord to search his heart and to let him know uh, what's going on. Uh, David is a person that reminds us, I believe, in his activities and, and his example that God wants to talk to us perhaps more than we want to hear him sometimes. Uh, a lot of times we feel, oh, I'm not hearing from the Lord and uh, usually it's because we're not listening to the Lord. And so verse 1, it says, There was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord. And the Lord answered, It is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. Now these last chapters of 2 Samuel are probably out of order chronologically. They're like an addendum that gives us additional information about David's reign. We're not sure, therefore, exactly when this famine occurred, whether it was early or later in David's reign. It was probably earlier. It wasn't until the third year of the famine that David considered that the cause might be spiritual. Now, rather than criticize his sluggishness, we should recognize that we, too, are capable of overlooking the fact that there may be a cause or a reason why our spiritual lives seem to be hindered. In fact, we have a strange tendency to settle for less in our walk with the Lord. We like to be comfortable to have everything scheduled and under control. Uh, then there's the uh, phenomenon I've noticed over the years in, in many lives where, you know, people are experiencing some kind of a, uh, they feel like there's some kind of a lack. And they, uh, they immediately uh, assume that it's from something outward. Uh, and they say, well, I'm just not getting anything out of the, the messages anymore. I'm not getting anything out of my service at that church. In fact, I'm not getting anything out of my church anymore. I need to go to another church and start over again. I need to see if maybe that's the situation. And a lot of times, you know, I'm not saying that can't be true ever, uh, but oftentimes, you know, we're, we're, we're wants to look inward. If you learn anything from reading uh, about the biographies of great Christians that have come before us and just even just reading the scriptures, of course, is that there's an inner look, there's an inward uh, look, an introspection, a seeking of the heart that really needs to take place. We, we're kind of a, uh, you know, a, a society that's driven by things that happen outwardly and we have different choices. I can't even go to Kentucky Fried Chicken. There's so much. Maybe I need I need help when I go to KFC. First of all, there's too many different recipes now. There's like a hundred different ways you can have Kentucky Fried Chicken. And then I, maybe it's just me, but I can't figure out the menu at all. Whenever I go in there, all I want is a you know maybe a chicken breast and a and a roll and two of the. I come out with a bucket of three hundred pieces of chicken because I just don't know how to order. They don't have happy meals, I don't th or at least I don't see them. And so I just I stand there frustrated for about a half an hour letting people go ahead of me until I finally break down and say, can you help me order? 
But, but it's, all, it's all visual and it's all outward. And so when I'm feeling a lack in my life spiritually, I, I have a tendency to look outward and to blame someone else. I think, well, it must be, uh, oh, yeah, that's it. It's the devotional book I'm reading. I'm just not getting anything out of it anymore. So I need a different book. I, I need this. I need that. It's my church. I'm listening to Gene and it's really hard to follow him with those stupid titles. And, and so, you know, I really I need to go someplace where they have deep, meaningful titles. You know, they can tell me something. And that might be true, I guess, but a lot of times in my own life, it's just, it's been me. There's, there's something in my walk with the Lord uh, that needs to be adjusted. And so, uh, rather than criticize David, uh, I look in my own heart and I think, yeah, I, I'm pretty sluggish about figuring things out as well. And I tend to blame others. Now, the important thing is that God is willing and waiting to reveal to us the condition of our hearts if we will seek Him. He can tell us if we are famished panters after the watering brook or if we are in the midst of a famine of our own making. The famine in Israel was the result of King Saul's cruel dealings with the Gibeonites. Their story is recorded all the way back in the book of Joshua. Some 400 years earlier, the Gibeonites had deceived Joshua into letting them live during the conquest of the promised land. God told Joshua to go in and kill all the inhabitants of the land of Canaan because they were wicked sinners. The Gibeonites were afraid. They didn't want to be wiped out. Uh, And so they devised a plan to fool uh, Joshua and the children of Israel. They deceived them and they got Joshua to swear an oath to them. And even though for their part they lied, the Israelites were bound to the oath. Once, uh, basically, they told them, hey, we're not from around here. We came from a long ways off. And when they found out that that was a lie, Joshua said, we're going to have to keep our oath anyway because uh, we made it. And so the Gibeonites became the servants of the Israelites, uh, but they were to be treated kindly. And so in verse 2, So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. Children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. During his reign, Saul killed Gibeonites and he appropriated and then redistributed their land and their wealth. Now, Saul ought to have been killing Philistines or Amalekites. It's not that Saul lacked enemies. He abandoned his mission and it created a void that he ended up filling with something that was counterproductive. And so as the king, he was called to protect Israel from the Philistines and from the Amalekites. And there was no shortage of conflict with those guys that you could go after. But instead, Saul hung back and he said, let's just get wealthy on the Gibeonites. They, they don't have any defenses. They're right here in our midst. Uh, let's take their land and their property. They're not really Israelites after all. As we seek to serve the Lord, He has missions for us. His, uh, he has assignments for us. He has things that He calls us to do. If we shy away from them, it's going to create a void and we risk filling it with things that are not just insignificant, but actually counterproductive. Sometimes I see Christians, for example, establishing some ministry that's already being done. I want to say to them, aren't there some Philistines that you can go kill instead? Aren't there any Amalekites that you can be after? I mean, there must be something that God has called you to do instead of we always just reproduce the same thing over and over again. 
I think we've got, there's plenty of ministry out there. Now, God had waited patiently for David to rectify the situation, but he had done nothing, and so a famine came upon the land, and it got David's attention. Since they were the ones who had been wrong, David went to the Gibeonites to ask what it would take to right the wrong. In verse 3, therefore David said to the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? And with what shall I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said to him, we will have no silver or gold from Saul or from his house, nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. So he said, whatever you say, I will do for you. Now, after Joshua realized he had been deceived by the Gibeonites, he kept his oath to them. But as I mentioned, he made them servants in Israel. Specifically, they were the woodcutters and the water bearers for the uh, tabernacle. Take notice here in verses 3 and 4 that the Gibeonites did not ask for their freedom from this servitude. They were content to go on serving in Israel. I mean... This is like one of those, you know, you found the genie's bottle thing. You know, what, what do you want? I'll, I'll do anything for you, David says. There's a, drought, there's a famine. It's because Saul, our king, has wronged you. You name the price. I mean, I would, have, I would not have hesitated to say we want our freedom. We're tired of being servants, woodcutters, and water bearers, second-class citizens in Israel. We want you know, full-blown citizenship. We want to be able to pursue whatever careers and dreams and desires that we might have. But, you know, they didn't have any of that. They didn't want to profit. They didn't want revenge. They only wanted, as we'll see in the next verse, justice, which would relieve the famine for everyone in Israel. And so after many centuries of cutting wood and bearing water for the tabernacle, God had built into their heart a selflessness. They had seen firsthand what went on in the tabernacle. They watched as Israelites came and offered their sacrifices and their offerings. And they got to know the heart of the God of Israel. And so when given the opportunity to get anything they wanted, they said all we want is for everyone to benefit from the grace and the mercy and the blessing of God. And so all we want is justice that will relieve the famine and we'll go on being the water bearers and the woodcutters because that is a high calling and a wonderful privilege and we don't want to get out from under it. It's a, there's a whole study here for those of you who are, maybe you're looking for a devotion to share somewhere, uh, the Gibeonites uh, and their, this further story of them is, is a great devotion. And so verse 5, then they answered the king, as for the man who consumed us and plotted against us, that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the territories of Israel. Let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord chose. And the king said, I will give them. Now, as we read these verses, they on the surface seem a little arbitrary to us, but I don't think that they were saying to just pick any seven guys from the descendants of Saul. These were undoubtedly individuals who had profited from the persecution and the killing of Gibeonites, sons of Saul who had participated with him in his plans against them and who had profited thereby. I mean, just because we're not told that, we don't need to default to some understanding that, well, this is just crazy stuff, you know, or they just grab seven guys that are descendants of Saul and kill them. 
we're reading more into it than we're told. Uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm saying that these individuals were complicit. They were guilty. And so verse 7, the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. Now, the writer of 2 Samuel includes this detail because the readers would naturally wonder how this affected David's dealings with Mephibosheth. And so, um, you know, Saul only had so many sons. It turns out he had more than seven. But, you know, are you going to include Mephibosheth in there? And if you are, how does that affect the oath that you made to Jonathan that you would look after uh, this individual? Uh, And so whether the household of Mephibosheth had profited or not, David spared him on account of his own oath to Jonathan. And so David is trying to keep all these oaths uh, in place and keep them clear. These oaths that people took in the Old Testament, they were taken pretty seriously. God held you to them. If you swore something, according to Psalm 15, verse 4, you swore to your own hurt, meaning you were obligated to keep your oath at some cost to you. Now, in making application of these things to our own lives in terms of what causes famine, we might start right here with things that we've said we are going to do, commitments that we've made, especially to serve the Lord. The fact that we are under grace and not law doesn't mean that our words or our promises carry less weight. On the contrary, Jesus said, let your yes be yes. Grace, uh, when we're under grace, we have a tendency, uh, a human tendency, to uh, relax more than when we're under the law. It's just... The way it works, it shouldn't be. And when we really think about grace and and understand it, uh, you know, we see that we should be doing more, being more consistent, be more faithful, be more excited, and all that. But there's just kind of I've noticed in my own life there's a tendency. Well, I'm under grace. I said I would do that, but yeah, well, well, you know, I'm done. Just this came up and that came up, and what do you want me to do? Good thing I didn't swear I would do it. Good thing I didn't give an oath saying I would do it because, uh, you know, now I can flake out. And then I, you hear something, no, you know, actually, you're under a greater obligation. Just maybe we shouldn't talk to each other. I mean, by the, you know, just don't say you're going to do anything. It's like that. There's a commercial where the it's, I think it's an identity theft commercial where the gal asks her husband a question and he he won't answer her because, you know, something about what's your name or are you going to work today? You know, that kind of she just you know, one doesn't want to give up his identity, you know. And so uh, the idea here is that maybe, you know, if you if there's a famine in your life, um, maybe you need to go back to a time in your life when you said, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. It's kind of a promise I made to you. We didn't get too involved in the promise keepers movement. Remember that a few years ago? I'm just bringing this up as an illustration because the minute you make a promise, you start to break it. And, and, you know, we, we just want to let our yes be yes and our no be no. But maybe in our, as we're searching our hearts this morning, maybe the Lord will have to show you as the Holy Spirit would come and say, yeah, I, I do remember I made a certain commitment, Lord, to serve you in a certain way with my time, or with my talent or with my treasure. And you know what, Lord, I never followed through on that. I'm still flaking out on that. And it could be the cause of a major or minor famine in your life. Or perhaps you're serving the Lord as promised, but you're not really doing it faithfully. 
You're just phoning it in, as we say, doing the minimum, just getting by. If you're experiencing a famine, it could be what I've just mentioned, or it might be some other hidden spore that has crept into your life. It could be a habit that you've adopted that declares your independence from the Lord in some area of your life. It could be a hobby that's become a little too consuming of your time. Maybe you're giving place in your heart to something like anger or bitterness or unforgiveness or lust or covetousness. Maybe I'm a little bit less sensitive to sin than I used to be. Or it could simply be unconfessed sin. All these and more, they are the spiritual spores that will bring famine. The point here is just to talk with the Lord about it. Find out from Him if you are the deer panting panting after the watering brook, if you're famished in a good way, or if this is a time of famine that can be alleviated by searching your heart. And then verses 8 through 14, work with the Lord, applying the cure for your famine. David kept his word to the Gibeonites, verse 8. So the king took Armoni and Mephibosheth. Uh, This is a different Mephibosheth, so we see that this is an extremely popular name in Israel at the time. I don't know what the most popular boy name is right now. For a while it was Joshua, but Mephibosheth, everybody was named Mephibosheth there for a while. I think we should bring it back. It's got a lot of, you know... You call them me or Phoebe or Sheth or Seth. There's a lot of kind of little calls that you can give. So those of you who are with child, I'd strongly suggest you look at this. Anyway, they were the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ayah, whom she bore to Saul, and the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Maholathite. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the hill before the Lord. So they fell, all seven together, and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of barley harvest. Rizpah was Saul's concubine. Michael was his daughter and uh, had at one time been uh, David's wife. But uh, when Saul was trying to kill David, he took Michael away from him and gave her to another man. Their sons, who had, we think, been complicit with their father in spoiling the Gibeonites, were delivered over for judgment. In those days, executions were public events and the bodies were left on display for a time as a deterrent. This was a legal, proper exercise of capital punishment under the laws of Israel. It may seem somewhat brutal to us with our modern sensibilities, but uh, what is being described here is a legal, public execution. Verse 10, Now Rizpah, the daughter of Ayah, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock, from the beginning of harvest until the late rains poured on them from heaven. And she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. Rizpah's boys had by their sin brought drought and death upon Israel. Now everyone could see it for themselves as they hung there dead and decaying. What was hidden had been revealed for what it really was. But apparently Rizpah in her grief refused to allow them to be taken down and buried. Instead, she did what she could to protect them in a weird way from the birds and the beasts as they continued to hang there. Her motives for acting this way are not revealed to us in the text. Uh, it seems, seems it seem odd to you? seems weird to me. We can say regarding her behavior that she was unwilling to face the truth of her situation and move on. That may sound a little harsh since, after all, she was their mother, but it did no one any good to try to preserve her son's dead, decaying bodies, bury them, and move on. 
One application for us would be that when the Lord does show you a cause for your famine, see to it that it's put to death and then bury it and move on. Don't mourn for it. Don't try to protect it. Don't try to preserve it or figure out another way of indulging in it. Don't keep returning to it. Uh, it, It's nothing that we really need in our lives. Verse 11, And David was told what Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, the concubine of Saul, had done. Then David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabez Gilead, who had stolen them from the street of Beth Shan, where the Philistines had hung them up, after the Philistines had struck down Saul and Gilboa. So he brought up the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from there, and they gathered the bones of those who had been hanged. They buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, in the country of Benjamin and Zelah, in the tomb of Kish, his father. So they performed all that the king commanded, and after that, God heeded the prayer for the land. When Saul and Jonathan fell in the battle against the Philistines, their enemies had shamefully displayed their bodies. The men of Jabesh Gilead risked their lives to retrieve the remains. Up until this time, however, the remains were interred far from Saul's inheritance. They meant to bring them back, uh, but they just never got around to it. David determined to gather the remains of Saul and Jonathan and these recently executed sons and give them all their proper burial in their ancestral tomb. What's interesting to us is that it says after that, the famine ended. In other words, it wasn't just the execution of these boys that was required. There was other unfinished business that was suggested by their deaths. Once they were dead, David could see clearly what further steps needed to be taken. Israel had neglected to properly bury Saul and Jonathan. And so sometimes what happens too is that, you know, God will show me something, show you something, and you think, okay, I'm going to deal with that. And then you deal with it, and then you still sense that, you know, hey, I'm still in this time of famine or nothing's really changed. And it's because that just opens up a window or a door for you to see other things that have been left undone. And so maybe we're looking at Rizpah and we're thinking, boy, this is weird that she's not giving her sons their proper burial. And then somehow it dawns on David. He says, wow, we haven't given Saul and Jonathan their proper burial. I mean, it's not like they're on display. They're not hanging somewhere. The men of Jabesh Gilead did take their bodies down and they are interred, but they're not. It was never dealt with fully and properly. And so uh, it becomes kind of a snowball effect in your life where the Lord starts to show you some things and and more things and more things until you get back to uh, where you need to be. Again, we're kind of an instantaneous people. You think, okay, Lord, uh, what is it? Okay, you showed me that sin. I confess my sin. Everything should be perfect now. And the Lord says, well, let's, let's get, I'm a little bit deeper than that. I want to know you on a more intimate level. I want to reveal some things to you. There's some other things that are left undone. You may not even think they're that important. I mean, after all, how important is it that Saul and Jonathan get buried where they're supposed to be buried? I mean, at least they're buried. It's not like they're being disgraced. But in a tribal society like Israel, it was extremely important. And so there are things in our lives that maybe they're okay. They're not even sin. It's just, but the Lord would say, yeah, but it's not exactly the way I want it. You're not exactly where I want you, doing what I want you to do. There's some other things. Now that this big thing is cleared out of the way and buried and, and all, now we can do some more, uh, you know, 
uh, intricate work. And, and really, I can start to really talk to you about what I have for you and what I want for you. And so we want to go on listening to the Lord. Ask yourselves this morning, is there anything God has shown us that is left undone? God wants to lift any famine that might be in your life or in my life or in the life of our church as a whole. He didn't save us to starve us, but rather to feed us and to fill us. Let's talk to Him and then work with Him when He shows us what needs to be altered, attended to, or even repented of. After that, He will heed the prayers we offer. He will grant the harvest and the late rains that we so desperately need in order to produce the fruit that He sees coming forth from our lives. Let's close with an appropriate promise from Isaiah. It's Isaiah 58, 11. Take this to heart this morning as you consider these things. Uh, scripture says, The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden. And like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And so, if the Lord is showing us anything this morning that is in this category of famine, then let's deal with it so that we can get back into an Isaiah 58:11 posture where there's just water flowing, springs of water, fruit coming forth from our lives individually and our life corporately. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You for these things.